0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy.
2: What's what the poster said.
3: See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out?
0: Nope. Because
2: I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now.
0: What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13.
0: Okay, round two. Name something that's not
1: boring.
3: Laundry? Ooh, a book club.
0: 1865 the nottingham forest podcast is proudly sponsored by the terrace the home of retro and fan culture sports merchandising check out their range of forest merch by visiting the terrace store.com or visit them on social media hello there and welcome to 1865 the intelligent nottingham forest podcast and i am your host rich ferraro If you're new here, then thanks for joining us, uh, wherever in the world you might be, and maybe we might even have some listeners in Paraguay now. Um, We started podcasting way back in 2008, when Baz and I did some short match reports and gained hundreds of listeners and thousands of followers on social media. Since 2017, we've been discussing and debating the fortunes of Forrest, as well as hearing from special guests about football finance, memorable moments, and getting a view from the opposition. Anyway, on with today's show, we will be discussing Chris Hewton's future. Has that equaliser at Derby saved his job? How will he work with our new players? And we'll also be looking at Forrest's approach in the transfer window and what we've learned from the first few matches of the season. We'll also hear from Jeremy Davis with a trip down memory lane and we'll have everyone's favourite game, Guess That Red. Listen carefully and you may hear a clue for this week's giveaway, courtesy of our sponsors at The Terrace. Now, enough of all of that. Let's welcome today's panel. So hello to Baz. How are you doing? Hello, I'm good. Thank you. Greetings to Tom Newton. How are you in your new house? I'm good, thank you. All settled in now. Good, good. Um, Stephen Toplis, welcome. Hello. And also a big welcome to a Bosman free transfer who we've signed from the now... Uh, resting shall we say two stars podcast uh, football writer for the athletic and Forest supporter nick miller welcome to 1865 nick
3: thank you very much for inviting me just uh, hang on sorry did you say free transfer i might uh, hang on am i not, not getting a fat fee for this, oh, this well your bonus.
0: agent has not been in contact with me so i mm. cannot comment any further that's a show. Okie doke. Well, OK, let's get right into it. And um, we are recording this just a few days after the close of the transfer window and even fewer days after Forrest signed two players after the close of the transfer window. Um, so we had 18 players who've left. We've had 10 players who've come in. Um, now, Nick, I'm going to start with you. 10 players coming in. Isn't that just the same as what Forrest have done in last year's summer transfer window?
3: Yeah, it was. It, as the kind of transfer window ticked down towards the end, and it looked like Thros weren't going to sign many players at all, you could at least comfort yourself in the knowledge of well, at least they're not going to do something mad like sign double figures of players again. That you know, we saw, we all saw what happened last season that went really badly. And then you know we get to the end, the, the end of the transfer window, and as you say, beyond, and it uh, ticks up to ten again and ah, Christ, I mean it, obviously we, we've seen a few of these players. we know James Garner very well. I'm sure we'll get onto this, but it, it, it's it's the sort of unknown that is um a little bit concerning, maybe, as well as the the volume but yes it is it is slightly difficult to think that lessons have been learned and um you know things have changed when they sort of do exactly the same as they did last
0: year, Stephen. Did we need ten new players? Bearing in mind the amount of players
4: who've left, well, I think we needed players in certain positions. Definitely, we've added uh, midfielders, we've added fullbacks. Probably one or two many fullbacks now. We seem to have gone from having a multitude of left backs to having one, and then suddenly deciding to stockpile right backs as a response to that. But Joe uh, sure will go into the players in, in detail later. Um, on the face of it, yeah, we probably d- don't need 10 signings. It does sound like a lot. And when you when you look at some of the players, you wonder who has had the input in signing those. Have some of these been through the Greek regime? Have they recommended players as has been done in the past? Some of the players who've come in seem to have that kind of fingerprint on them. And then others seem to be very much Dane Murphy signings like Ojeda and those kind of young players with the opportunity to develop and then the token Olympiakos player coming in, which seems to happen every summer.
0: Mm. Uh, I'll come back to a couple of those things in just a moment. Uh, Tom, we heard Nick Randall say in his interview at the start of the season, plan A didn't work. So off the top of your head, would you say that you prefer what plan B looks like? Hmm.
5: Or, or uh, I would say no, because it's still players who, you look at the stats and you kind of, like uh, with silver. with no disrespect to the signings what come in, but you look at the stats and you think, well, I don't know about that person, and it's just the same old players coming in, and you just don't know if they've got that quality to, like, obviously propel us up the table. I mean, Nick Randall said at the start of the season about Chris Hughton's credentials and everything, he says... Oh, May, hopefully, we were celebrating promotion. While well, looking at the side, it's nowhere near good enough for like a top six at the time when he said that. And even with these signings, I just don't think they're good enough. Um, I mean, since last season, we've been looking for a new striker to um, help grabbing and tailor out, and that hasn't materialised. And I just think goals are a massive issue in our side at the moment. And I think that problem is still going to be with us um, from now until January if they can sort something out there.
0: Okay, and uh, to you, Baz, is there a sign that Dane Murphy has been trying to put a strategy into place or is it still a bit of a mishmash as far as you're concerned?
2: It kind of at the start, it felt like, yeah, there was there was some sort of strategy. There's obviously there's this aim of lowering the ages. So most of the players we brought in are not yet. Over thirties um, on big wages kind of thing. Well, we assume we're not. They're not in, on big wages. They seem to be a bit younger. They seem to be a bit hungrier. They seem to be a bit more unknown. But then there is still this. I still get this feeling. It was just a, right. Let's just roll the dice and see who we can bring in on the last day and or after the last day. And it it does still worry me. Um, I mean, obviously it's it's a brand new start in some ways. So it's it's not going to. You can't just wipe away what's gone before. There's going to be some sort of like hangover from it, but it does it seem to be okay. And then, as you say, yeah, we hit double figures, and it's like actually, we're just back to where we were. So, hope, I'm, I'm, it's the jury's out, it's, it's the only way I can put it.
0: Okay, and uh, Nick, one of your colleagues at the Athletic, I think Philip Buckingham, uh, wrote an article talking about the net spend in the championship and how it's way, way lower. I think it's been 140 million at least for each of the last four or five years in the summer transfer window. And this year, it's forty million pounds, of which Fulham have spent twenty. So, is Forest transfer business sensible from a financial point of view? Bearing in mind that we are signing younger players, and it does seem to have been aimed at bringing in players on lower wages than your Harry Artas and your, you know, the the other sort of bomb squad signings, I suppose
3: yeah i mean that's the way you can you spin the the whole sort of transfer window as a positive really because i mean there are t- 10 signings uh you know a couple of them for fees but you would imagine not not particularly big fees you'd also imagine not on not particularly big wages either and then five loans which are obviously sort of short term commitments so in that respect you can kind of um you, you can you, you could say that First, sort of learned learned a lesson not only from their past business, but from what's happened in uh, if, to everyone over the over the last year. If you look at, I mean, this is obviously at the very, very, very top end of the market, but you know, Real Madrid bidding whatever it was for two hundred million euros for Kylian Mbappe, like like the last year had never happened, like nothing had changed, and everything was still kind of financially rosy. So, from that from that perspective. Um, you know, and then keeping Worrell and uh, and, Myton and 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 Brennan Johnston, you could certainly th- those are the sort of ways that you could certainly spin the this transfer window as being a successful forest, even if you, as, as I am, I'm unsure about some of the players that have have joined.
0: Mm. Um, coming to you, Tom, isn't that a potential uh, way of spinning the transfer window as being very successful? Brennan Johnson and Joe Worrell are still Forest players. And in his post match interview after Derby, Joe Worrell didn't sound that concert, that convinced rather, about where he'd be playing his football in two weeks' time. So those are good things, aren't they? Um,
5: they are. Um, but with what we needed in the squad and adding quality, and if the Greeks do want promotion in the next couple of years, let's say, um, I, personally, I would have sold one of them and I would have sold. Brennan Johnson, Um reason being is that you can say you get 10 million pounds for him, we can reinvest in the squad and get a striker of a, some sort of quality. Um, because I think that's where our problems um lie. And I think Nick Randall said right at the start of the regime that sometimes we might have to um like um sell somebody just to readdress the squad, and I would have gone down that route. Um, but it hasn't happened so on the flip side it's a good thing but long term it's going to be sooner well in the next year or so one of them will be going anyway and I would have sold them now and then reinvest that money into the squad to um, to get us higher up the table but obviously my, that's just my opinion and obviously everybody's n- well some people are not going to have the same uh, opinion as me on that front.
0: Um, I would say that I'm one of the people that probably disagrees with it ever so slightly. Um, Firstly, because I don't know what good strikers have been available this summer. Uh, Are there any off the top of your head that you would have been interested in, uh, Tom? Um,
5: No, I mean,
0: we've
5: got um, the rumours going around with Jerry Yates, something like that, and a striker of his calibre probably would have cost a couple of million, possibly. Um, And I would have gone down that that route and have somebody who's young enough so you obviously got potential to obviously um, grow but like you say there isn't loads of strikers out there but I would just reinvest that money into someone who's you've scouted, you've uh, educated yourself on, to make sure it is the right deal for the football club um, but obviously that hasn't happened, we've still got Brennan Johnson which is a, a good thing but like I so said it's going to be sooner rather than later that he will be sold to reinvest in the squad As I
2: I, I kinda of disagree with it with you there, Tom. Um I think our big problem is the jury's still out on whether Graben's passed it and whether Taylor can cut it at this level. That's true. But um our big problem has been creating chances and I was looking for basically uh some some something stronger in midfield. So having Garner obviously helps a lot because that gives us the ability to transition from defence to attack, but someone who can create the chances. Because I think if, even though Graben is quite old now, uh, I think if you can lay the ball onto him, he's going to score. He's, he's, he is a 20-goal-season striker. So it's just, but he's, at the moment, he's having to come deep and go wide and all that stuff. Um, and as Taylor's not even getting a, a look in. So I would have said, I, would, I don't know if um, Okada is it now. And, and and silver whether they can cut it or not I don't know anything about them but if they can do that then that's brilliant but that's definitely where where I thought we needed to strengthen the most is is that um so, so some, basically a uh, number ten so we can have Johnson can can still grow into the role because at the moment we're depending on him to create
0: chances okay I'll I'll come to Stephen in a moment but Nick you wanted to jump in there.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want to kind of come across as an um, apologist for the club, but the other thing to say about, you know, it, it, it is all very well saying, well, we'll sell um, X player, be it Warrell, be it Johnson or whoever. But as far as I'm aware, because the this sort of strange middle middle tier of the transfer window just sort of didn't exist this summer, yeah, people at the top spending a lot of money and then people lower down spending very small amounts of money i just don't think there was a sort of suitable offer there for someone like um you know Brennan johnson at brentford were obviously interested but i don't think they got in, in terms of sort of concrete offers i don't think they got much further than about 6 7 million pounds which you know is a is a good fee for a, some for a player who's um you know only played in league 1 really so far in, in his career but if if he is as good as we we think he is he plays with us for for another year and then we you know when if the transfer window is a little bit more kind of uh buoyant or normal again next summer then you you potentially will get that kind of eight figure fee for someone like him
0: Mm, yeah and uh you know transfer markets are supply and demand lest we forget um Stephen I just wanted to um Come back to that idea about the styles of signings that we're making. Now, obviously, Ojeda is an under... Everyone's getting excited about him, but we don't know what's going to do. Um, He's made his international debut, but he's coming from literally the other side of the world. He doesn't speak much, if any, English as yet. Uh, we know that sometimes it can take players' time to acclimatise. He's also playing international football, and um, I heard somewhere that apparently the countries he, he's going to are on the red list. So it's going to be at least a few weeks before we see Hader, and it's going to take a while before he can acclimatise to, to life in Nottingham. I just want to talk to you about fullbacks, if I may. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples from last season. Uh, Cyrus Christie and Tyler Blackett, players who are established championship fullbacks in the mid part of their career. You could argue come into the, you know, the peak of their careers in terms of age and so on. Uh, both probably on fairly hefty wages and neither of them are here anymore. But what we do have is Jed Spence, who's 21 years old. We have Max Lowe, who I think is similar age. Um, and even Jordi i Tutu's come from the Premier League is a young man. Now, those are loan signings, but if we compare them to Christian and Blackett, which would you rather have?
4: I would actually take the options that we've got now. Um, I think Osai Tutu and Spence are younger than Christie for a start, so there's that potential for more development. I don't know, particularly with the Spence deal, if there's an option for Forrest to maybe sign him permanently when the loan deal is over, because I, it, I'm a little bit surprised that Middlesbrough have let him go. If he's as highly rated as we're led to believe with the likes of Southampton and Leicester. I'm just going to jump it. in there because
0: apparently there's a quote from Neil Warnock saying in a few years, he could be Premier League or he could be non-league. So <laughs> <laughs> make <laughs> that what you will. <laughs> well, um, I, I still,
4: yeah, the potential's there, I think with him and maybe he, he, he's one for the future, possibly with us. But who knows on that front? I, and on the left-hand side, I I, I liked Blackett. I, I thought he was a solid player. But um, I don't think he's got the attacking instincts that you need in the full-backs nowadays where you've got to be prepared to go into the opposition half and deliver crosses into the box and be a real part of the attack. I think I always see Blackett as, to me, he's more of a, a centre-half who can sort of play out on the left-hand side. So I think in Max Lowe, who is an out-and-out left-back, we've upgraded there and he's coming to us with a point to prove having moved to Sheffield United, but it's not quite worked out for him. And he's now at Forest with an opportunity to, to get his career back on track. So I would argue that our options give us a bit more potential with the, with the age and also the styles of play that they offer. Osai Tutu, I I really hope we can see him back in action soon. He's a real exciting talent from what we've seen of him at Cardiff and in Germany as well.
0: Okay. Um, Yeah, I mean, so he's 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 got experience for a very young man, but he's also got that dodgy hamstring, which I suspect is one of the reasons why they've uh, signed Spence. And I mean, the theory, I guess, is that they signed they wanted to sign Spence. It took a while to get over the line, so they thought, well, Mohamed Drega is available, so let's get him. Now, Baz, coming back to you, there was uh, another thing that I read, which was saying that although it looks on the surface as though Drega is one of those. He's at Olympiacos, sister club, let's get him. There's also been a suggestion, I think from Paul Taylor, um, that there was some data work done on him. And this could be an example of of that data-driven approach. Also, some some suggestion that uh, Zande Silva was another one of the data-driven approach uh, type players. And potentially, although we don't know, uh, Rodrigo Ely, um, although according to um, his Wikipedia page, he's... Um, nearly seven meters tall so we need someone who's strong in the air
2: (laughs) i saw that (laughs) that made me laugh definitely um it it would be interesting because yeah uh, xander thingy silver especially there's you you, I, i did try to do a little bit of like internet research on him and there's virtually nothing apart from he didn't do very much at west ham and so I'm kind of I'm kind of intrigued as to what's what's prompted this, especially given the the, the reputation Dane Murphy has for being data driven. Um so yeah, that that's gonna be really interesting to see how that plays out, especially if we do have like an, a style of play and an identity, that whole thing that was on about with Barnsley, where they 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 look for the gaps in in the in what's what's coming up. And again, this then comes on to what we're going to talk about later on with Hume, I guess. But um, if there's something that they've spotted in, in Silver's stats that's going to fill a hole for us, then that's brilliant. But it, we have to wait and see, I guess.
0: Yeah. And, and Tom, I, I don't know about you, but there's, I've again, this is just going from social media, which is never the most reliable source. Um, but West Ham fans... Some of them were going well. He looked quite good. I'm surprised he never got more of a chance at West Ham. So, does that give you any confidence?
5: It does because West Ham are a bit of a fickle bunch, anyway. And when they're saying a player's okay, then sometimes you might have to stand up and take notice. Um I, f- I think we've got to do the same. I mean, he might not be good enough to get into like the first team for West Ham, but you never know. He might come here, want to prove himself, and he might be an absolute brilliant signing, we just don't know, like with the, um, the other unknown players. So I think it's much of, I mean, looking at them, the stats, you look at them and it's not like, oh, I'm not sure about that person, I'm not sure about him, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think we've just got to give them a chance and and if they, a couple of them come off happy days, if they don't, it's well... It's one of them, which is the same old adage with uh, Forrest, when we sign uh, unknowns, some work out, some don't. So I think it's just watch this space and see how it progress uh, in the coming.
0: Yeah, Stephen, just going back to something that Baz said about, about Barnsley, um, a couple of people have also suggested, and I kind of have some sympathy with this, No one had heard of any of the players that Barnsley signed over the last couple of years, and they not only helped them escape relegation, but helped them look like a decent championship side under the right management. So does that give you some kind of confidence in terms of Forest's transfer dealings?
4: It does. For many years, the Forest fans have been saying we'd like to go down the money ball approach, finding those gems that nobody else is picking up, developing them, improving ourselves as a team. And then if we sell those players on, we're selling them on for a really good profit. That's the whole point of the money ball approach. So if if these unknown players are coming in, that's the money ball approach that you've asked for. So you've kind of got to expect that there are going to be some unknowns and players that you've never heard of potentially coming into the club. And they, I think you've just got to trust in the process. If these players, as we're led to believe, have got that data-driven kind of recruitment behind them, then I think we trust in the process and Dane Murphy, that's what he's here to do. And and hopefully it repeats a similar success to what he's had at Barnsley. And then it's smatterings of players like uh, Rodrigo Ely, those kind of free agents who are over the age of twenty seven but that's okay under the Dane Murphy system. Those are the players that will fill out the squad and, and come in for a year and maybe stay longer if they if they prove themselves and perform. So it's all for me it's all about trusting that process and giving it time.
0: And Nick, that's a better approach, surely, than signing Harry Arter and Carl Jenkins. And basically, every kind of lower Premier League player that you've ever heard of, who's probably on 40 grand a week, who's going to end up doing, frankly, sod all.
3: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I I would say that that, that while I uh, sort of uh, embrace the, uh, as we've been talking about, the sort of data-driven approach, there are a couple of slight caveats to that. One is that most clubs do that now. And, um, you know, it's it, it, we are celebrating Forests sort of finally coming into the 21st century, which is which is obviously good. But every, because everyone else is doing that, everyone else has to, we, you, you do have to be a little bit smarter than just, you know, using data, which hopefully Dane Murphy and the people he's brought in um, uh, will be. The other thing is that, uh, that we can, you know, we, we can hope to replicate what Barnsley did a lot of what Barnsley did was because of uh, the players that they unearthed, but it was also because they had a very sort of clear idea of what kind of manager they they wanted. When when one of them who was kind of uh, adhering to a particular approach left, they got in someone else who would play a similar way. So. I suspect that won't happen with Forrest. I suspect that if, um, as we, I'm sure we're going to talk about later, if Chris Eaton does go, um, then we're not going to be, not going to have a you know, sort of you know mild mannered uh, sort of veteran manager who plays very patient football coming in. So th- 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 there are things that we can take from how Barnsley have done it over the last couple of years, but if, if we are um, kind of hoping to replicate them, I think that some patience is, will be required at, at the very least
0: mm. and, and and to Baz um so I think we're, we're more or less all on the same page here but what does it matter because Dane Murphy's already walked out hasn't he <laughs> <laughs> according to social media yeah the last, <laughs> so yeah so Dane Murphy's already gone and uh, I mean what I will say is that couple of things I think are really worth pointing out to, to, to any Forest supporter who wants to listen. Firstly, Barnsley had this approach in place before Dane Murphy became their chief executive. So he was the second chief executive who was in place, and that's because the first one left after six months because he got another job offer to be a data-driven chief executive at another football club in another country. The second thing I will say is that um, under um, Murphy... Um, The previous regime had installed, uh, what was his name? Daniel Stendhal. And he was sacked quite quickly because he wasn't doing, wasn't playing the game the way that the squad had been built for, I suppose. And that's when they got in Gerhard Struber, who saved them from relegation. Struber moved on, they got in Valerian Ishmael and so on and so forth.
2: Yeah, the key point there is, yeah, it's not just the data-driven part of it that that matters. It's the having an identity and a fixed way of playing, which I'm sure I've mentioned before, which is where my doubts about Chris Houghton and Dane Murphy working together come from. Because the the whole point of the the Moneyball approach is you have this identity, you have a set way of playing, and then you say, right, so we need a left-back who is very very fast when he crosses the halfway line and gets 70% completion on left footed crosses but we don't care about any of his other stats and because you're pinpointing that really really tight set of data then you can find people that other people aren't looking for and that's why you get them on the cheap but it all comes from knowing exactly what you're looking for and having a fixed way of playing beforehand and that's going to be the interesting thing is how that plays out over this season. Have we got a fixed way of playing? Have we got a particular style that we're trying to implement? And if, if we do, if, if Dave Murphy, if the club hierarchy have got this style, this identity in mind, is that the same as what Chris Hewton's been playing for the last year?
0: OK, Tom, I'm going to come to you with a conspiracy theory. Forrest have now got five or six centre-halves. They've signed Max Lowe. Um, and they've signed Jed Spence and they've got Jose Tutu and they've got players like Finn back in reserve who are probably more suited to go forward than they are to defending. Is that a sign that we are going to see a change in formation and tactics? And if so, isn't that different to the way that Chris Hewton usually does things? Discuss. (laughs) It is my. I mean, I've I've got no
5: sources. I'm not in the know or anything. But it looks to me, it looks to me that um, it might be completely off the, um, the mark. But how Forest looked like in May, set up three five two, is what a certain manager at Sheffield United was playing in the last couple of years. Um, and looking at. The players we've got now and how Chris Hewton plays, it's in my eyes, it's a bit chalk and cheese. So I think that second-half performance, which we're going to get onto later um, against Derby, probably saved Chris Hewton for the time being. But I think if we start not winning many games in the next two or three games, I think there's a distinct possibility that um, Forrest will twist and go for a and manage it. It may be Chris Wilder. It may be somebody who we don't know. But um, I just
0: think the writing's on the wall for Chris Hewton, personally. Ouch. OK, uh, so Nick, um, a Sheffield United manager. So Paul Heckingbottom coming to the city ground soon, yeah?
3: <coughs> yeah, absolutely. Or it could be Neil Warnock, who knows? Um, ah. In a way, he did, he did really very nearly get the job uh, uh, at some point. I can't remember who it was that got it eventually, but at some, some point under Fawaz, Warnock was certainly interviewed. Um, but yeah, I mean, t- to be honest, I, I was sort of, when I was at, um, when you invited me on to to do this podcast, I, I assumed we would be talking about um, Hutton not being there and probably Chris Wilder um, being the manager. He, I know he was he was at the Blackburn game, I think, which doesn't necessarily mean anything because you know, outwork managers go to games all the time to just kind of keep their eye in and get be seen and all that kind of thing. But I do know that for us to have at least um, there has been some contact with Wilder which again happens reasonably frequently it may work, may not re- actually result in uh, Wilder being appointed um one of the sticking points with Wilder at uh, Sheffield United was that um he um he, he wanted a little bit more of a say in uh, transfers and so on um and you know that didn't Go, <laughs> didn't go particularly well in his uh, sort of type, at least when Sheffield United were in the Premier League. Um, so the, I would be slightly cautious about that, and that might be a reason for them not going for him, and why it might, you know, not have uh, have, have happened yet. Um, I was speaking to someone the other day who says that he is sort of he, he has I don't know whether phrases learned from that, but he is sort of slightly more um, amenable to you know, working with a sporting director, the, the model that Forrest have at the moment. So it's, it's perfectly possible that he won't be quite as, um, um, quite as sort of dogmatic as he was about that situation at uh, Sheffield United. But yeah, I mean, as I said, I'm relatively surprised that Chris Wilder well, isn't already Forest manager. Um, I think if there is a change soon, it will either be Wilder or, as happened at Barnsley, someone sort of, that we are not so familiar with. Uh, I I, I don't want to say unknown because um, people on the internet will will, uh, shout at me for not knowing uh, who the sort of, you know, manager of Armenia Bealfield is or something. Um, So, yeah, that's, uh, as I said, relatively surprised that we're not already talking about Wilder as Forest Land.
0: Okay. well, we we possibly will talk about that a little bit more in part two. Um, I will just point out, Stephen, you did mention in our group chat that uh, you're awaiting the corner flag tweet, aren't you?
4: (laughs) When you see that corner flag, you know something's happened. And if it's on a Sunday afternoon, it's most probably a managerial change.
0: Oh, God, we're recording this at Sunday tea time. (laughs) Everything could be different by the time this goes out. (laughs) Okay, um, right, we're going to take a a, a short break, uh, but don't worry, listener, you're not going to be left in the lurch because we're going to go over to Jeremy.
4: I'm Mark Dennison, and you're listening to 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. The
1: 1865 Forest Rambles by Jeremy Davis. As you may have heard, Cristiano Ronaldo has rejoined Manchester United. It's often said that you should never go back, and his old mucker Gareth Bale's underwhelming return to Spurs last season suggests that this is as true for ageing superstars as for the rest of us. Aber, take note. Of course, there are exceptions to every rule, but at Forest, true to the principles laid down by Brian Clough, we like to play very much by the rules, and our extensive roster of former heroes who have found their way back to the club have mostly proved only that exceptions don't come along very often. Forest's own Ronaldo, in all but physique, was of course John Robertson, who may never have modelled Armani underpants, but was a two-footed genius and multiple European Cup winner who took penalties, even if he had less pace at his athletic peak than Ronaldo does at the age of 36. Robertson left under a cloud, of course, and I'm not talking about tobacco smoke. His return to the club after his disastrous spell at Derby was a textbook example of the rule of not going back playing just 12 times in the season leading up to the 1986 World Cup, where another Forest two-timer, Steve Hodge, would secure another memorable title to go with the league championship he won at Leeds by securing for his autobiography the name The Man with Maradona's Shirt. Hodge's Forest return was much happier, as he picked up a collection of cups in the late 80s flowering of the team Cluffy rebuilt, until Roy Keane came along to take his spot, and he left for Leeds after losing in the FA Cup final, to collect that league title as the fifth Beatle in the famous midfield of Strachan, Speed, McAllister and Batty. Of course, the cup final was settled by an own goal from Des Walker, who found his own way back to first. The fact that he scored a near-identical own goal in a rather less glamorous knockout competition, no matter what sky would have you believe about the Championship playoffs, just underlines the long arm of the law of diminishing football in returns. There are plenty more examples. Neil Webb, Nigel Clough, Michael Dawson, but asked to nominate their pick for the most disastrous homecoming, one fellow pod member picked out David Pretton, who saw Des's playoff calamity and raised it, getting sent off in that traumatic playoff with Yeovil. Of course, as Ronaldo would no doubt agree, if anyone is qualified to be exceptional, it's probably him. But even the greatest of talents could struggle to rekindle the old magic, as the Met response to ABBA's comeback album would seem to confirm. As for Forrest, well, with the manager's future in doubt and rumours of a replacement waiting in the wings, there's more than a hint of, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Thank you very much,
0: Jeremy. And before we get back to the discussion, I just want to give you a little update from our friends at FanHub. Uh, we support them and they support us. Their campaign is to try and put fans first and uh, make sure that the value of fans is recognized. So. On the Nottingham Forest Fan Hub leaderboard, uh, Boothy23 is currently in the lead and Liar's Bar. Um, now, I'm not going to stir things up here, but uh, Lee, who is Liar's Bar, has got as his profile picture a picture of Chris Wilder, which uh, neatly segues into the next thing we're going to be doing. Now, um, what you do to gain points on this leaderboard is you download the Fan Hub, up, Fan Hub app and then you can uh, access the uh, app by Uh, taking a golden ticket and we tweet those out fairly regularly so um, if you are struggling to get in then send us a message on social media we will try and get you a golden ticket um, overall, uh, the club are looking quite well. Um, we're 18th in the overall leaderboard, but Derby are 12th in the leaderboard. And you get points by predicting your lineup. You get points from looking at the newsfeed and you get points for checking in on match day. So if you're at the match, then you check in. It works out how many miles you've travelled to get there and you get points for that. You get points even if you check in remotely. And what they do is you can get fan shares as well for doing that. So you're actually buying into a piece of the fan hub app. Now, let's move on. We were just having a little think before the match and just thinking, hmm, forest fans, who are our favourite famous forest fans? Um, and I was trying to think about people who we could consider. Uh, I mean, I know that uh, the, the famous soul singer Edwin Starr lived in Bramcourt, but I don't think he was ever seen at the city ground. So I'm just going to go around and just ask, who's your favourite famous forest fan? Uh, My starter for 10 here is is James Dean Bradfield, the Manic Street Preachers. Despite being from near Cardiff, he held a season ticket for many years. Nick, what about you?
3: I'm going to go with a recent star of Celebrity MasterChef, Sue Pollard, um, simply because... I mean, it's one of the weirder things I've ever known. And I have had it. A friend of mine did an event with uh, Sue Pollard uh, a uh, few years ago. I asked her to confirm whether she was a Forest fan, and she is. So it's not not just one of those weird things you find on the internet.
0: (laughs) Okay. Speaking of weird things you find on the internet, Stephen.
4: (laughs) I will go with the World Cup winning manager, Luis Felipe Scolari who uh, famously won the World Cup with Brazil in 2002 and is reportedly also a Forest fan, having fallen in love with the Brian Clough double European Cup winning team of the uh, late 70s, early 80s. I don't think he'll quite be enjoying Forest as much these days, but still, it's nice to have a World Cup winner on board. So, big Phil Scolari for me.
0: OK, Tom, have you got one for us? Uh, and on the
5: back of that, uh, Brian Clough managed to naff this person off quite regularly outside his um, office. And that's Father of the House Tory MP Ken Clough.
0: Yep, yep. Who, uh, you know, obviously Rushcliffe MP and therefore it's his constituency team. Um, and then, Baz, you've got one which you mentioned in the group chat the other day and it's blown my mind. Give me, <laughs> give, give this to us. So this one um, unfortunately
2: uh, well he recently died it's uh, Lee Scratch Perry the reggae pioneer and the reason I know this is I've been thinking about this really hard why do I know this and what happens was I got given a mixtape by someone I went to school with a lad called Neil he gave me this tape which had a load of Lee Perry songs and on two of them you can just hear him saying Nottingham Forest. He's like one of them. He runs through a load of place names and then he ends up with and Nottingham Forest. And I, so I played it back to Neil. We used to go to this house down near High St. Green. And it was one of those places where people walk in and walk out and like you never know who, who you're going to meet there. And I, I played him, Neil the tape while we were there. And one of the other lads in the room turned to me and said, yeah, that's because his family lived down the road from me. And he quite often comes to Nottingham, and when he comes to Nottingham, he always goes to the City Ground. So my my famous fan, and if he was on Fan Hub, he'd win because he'd be coming all the way from Jamaica. So there you go, <laughs> Lee Scratch
0: Perry. Wow, and I, I I don't really know where we can go from this. I'm going to I'm going to neatly go back to what we were talking about a second ago, and and let's segue on to Chris Wilder because that is the topic of conversation. Um, before we come on to that, um. Did What saved Chris Houghton's job for the time being, Stephen? Was it the second half performance against Derby, where the team actually showed a little bit of fight for the first time, oh, possibly all season? Was it the goal by Brennan Johnson, which was the first thing Forest fans have really had to cheer since the goal set up by Brennan Johnson against Coventry? Or was it the captaincy of Joe Worrell?
4: I think the second-half performance, there's something about the Derby game and, and the way that we came back in that that in that performance. Just the uh, the emotion and relief, I think, kept Uten in the job for a bit longer. Because at half-time, I thought he was gone. The the way that first 45 went, I thought, there's no coming back for him now. Unless we turn this around in the second half and possibly even go on and win it, I, I thought he was gone. But the, the improvement in that second half, I think, was enough to keep him in the job for a little bit longer. Tom, was it the result or the performance? Um, a bit of both, um, to be honest. Uh, I think
5: that after the first half the performance, I think it couldn't have got much worse. But um, then obviously we got the goal and um, we didn't lose a derby game, which uh, up until um, the hour mark, the uh, derby looked like we were going to get a second goal because I think it was stretching who um, had that chance in the second half and I think that would have been curtains. But um, I said this, I think it was the, after the um, the game against Blackburn when I think he took uh, Alex Mighten off, and uh, the corner in it, I was sitting up at Bridgeford in the corner, which you, used to be called Capital One corner. Um, the fans there were singing, uh, you don't know what you're doing. And I thought at that point, not many managers come back from that. And I'm quite surprised he's still in the job, um, to be honest. Um, and I think, if we did lose the game against Derby last week, I think it would have been well and truly curtains for him.
0: Um, Baz, two things there. So the first thing is, has the return of fans actually made Hughton's job less tenable rather than more secure, as, as we talked about last month? Well, I mean that that when he subs was that the Blackburn game when he substituted
2: Alex I, yeah. I I I can remember definitely thinking this is the point where he's lost the fans. Up till that point, until that substitution, the fans were like were unhappy, but with him. And then you could just hear it change around the grounds. And and as I was walking out, I could not hear a single good word said about Chris Hughton. So that was that that point then with the fans in the stadium. But it was his his action that did it. The other thing I'd say about the derby game, and this is about Hughton's actions. Is he didn't do a like for like substitution. He changed the shape in the second half, and that's what made the difference with our performance. And that's something he's not done for the last year. He, he very, very rarely changes the shape. He always goes like for like. And that's one of the things I think that fans find frustrating about him.
1: Yeah. So, uh,
0: well, you, and you preempted what my second question was going to be, which is it's very rare that we see a tactical shift from Chris Heaton, even when he's maybe introduced a second. Forward or whatever, it's tended to be with the same rigid approach to the match. So, Tom, you wanted to come back there,
5: yeah. And one thing, um, this might be a bit trivial, but the one thing why he hasn't really adhered himself to the fans is: I went to the Coventry game; um, it didn't applaud the fans at the end of the game, and even for the um, Derby game, five time didn't uh, stop singing for the majority of the second half, and he didn't come over. And I just think he hasn't really, like I says, he hasn't adhered himself to the supporters. And just little things like that, people will remember, we've travelled all this way, say for Coventry or whatever, and he hasn't thanked us. And I think it's just a sticking point with me, uh, with him at the moment. But he's, he hasn't really mentioned mm. us as away supporters.
0: Yeah, just, just quickly, Stephen, on that one, um, we've, you could argue, so some fans have been saying, you know what? Uh, we want Sabri back. They are chanting his name at the game. And, of course, the counter-argument to that is, well, Sabri was also very defensive, but he also had wide players with blistering pace and Lewis Graben on form and fit. So that meant that Forrester were actually winning as many matches as they you know, as, as they did. But Sabri was also incredibly passionate on the touchline, and he loved to show the fans how much it meant. And his, in his post-match interviews were... Um, you know were we're really full of passion and emotion and Chris Houghton just isn't that guy he is you know as a player he was a steady fullback and that's how he comes across in his interviews is that something that matters in this day and age?
4: It helps it certainly helps to build that rapport with the fans but Chris Hewton really has not had the opportunity to do so because of the the Covid lockdowns and restrictions on fans being in the ground and I suppose from those fans who were chanting for Sabri, you know whether you agree with them or not. Um, obviously, I think some do have short memories, but the last time that we were sat in the city ground enjoying ourselves, Sabri was the manager and we were beating Leeds 2-0 and very much looking like we could do something memorable that season. Then, uh, obviously, we had the Cholton game, which I think is as bad a drop-off as any manager has probably had in In the last 15, 20 years at Forest, that was a a baffling game and and the changes that were made. And then we obviously had the well-publicised collapse against Stoke on the final day and the way it all fell apart. So, it's for me, it's just a case of... I, I think Hewton has been unfortunate to not be able to build any rapport with the fans, having them week in, week out at the games. If you look at Brighton, he's absolutely adored down there because he got them... He obviously achieved great things with them and took them to promotion. Um, yes, he's not helped himself with the, some of the tactics and substitutions and the style of play at times. But yeah, I, I think that separation that we've all had from football and that the fact we haven't enjoyed it as much watching from home and sometimes it's, the results haven't been great. I think it's a combination of factors that have, have not really helped Huyton in terms of building that that bond with Forest supporters.
0: I think, I think potentially you're being quite generous there, Stephen, Um, bearing in mind that we are five matches in season. And and I think that the point that Tom made, if you're the away manager, even if you've ended up losing the match in stoppage time, as they did at Coventry, um, you know, that, that moment where, where Lyle Taylor scored, that was a wonderful moment. And, and as an away manager, you go over to your fans and say, thank you for that support. Surely um, it's it's part of the modern, modern management's uh, handbook, I'd have thought. Um, Nick, you are a football writer and a journalist and you must hear things that we don't. Now, obviously, I can't ask you to betray any sources, but you said that you thought we'd be talking about Chris Wilder. And you said that you thought that, you you've, you know, Wilder was at that match against Blackburn. How significant is it that Wilder was at that match that the fans turned on Chris Hutton And is that chicken or egg? i mean I, I, I can't
3: really see that the two things are necessarily connected i mean i, I would have thought that you know very, it, it, not many uh, first fans would have known that um that he was there especially people in the upper Bridgeford, unless um, wilder was really experiencing it with the fans and you know got himself a ticket in there um so i i, I don't think the, the, the two things are sort of necessarily connected but and and as i, I said before um Wilder being at the game doesn't necessarily mean a huge amount um i think what is slightly more um it's probably slightly more consequential is that i i I'm, I'm i kind of i am aware that someone at people at the club have you know at least had some sort of contact with with wilder and again that kind of thing goes on all the time um And it's, it's. I know some people regard it as um, as slightly sort of two-faced or whatever it is to be talking to another manager while you still have a a, a manager in place. But to me, it's just incredibly sensible to always be aware of your options and to sound someone out. Because if you, you know, if you sack a manager, then you need to have a decent idea of who the next guy is. It doesn't, doesn't. You don't necessarily have to have someone absolutely lined up, although. Um, as we've kind of seen with Forrest, that has generally been the case with with this under these um, owners anyway. I can't, mm. mem- I can't remember what the gap between um, uh, Lamucci and Hutton. I mean, Lamucci going and Hutton being appointed was, but if we you know go back to O'Neill uh, leaving and Lamucci coming in, it was, uh, I don't think it was even an hour bef- between the two announcements. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that the... Um, uh, the discontent in the, in the support would have n- sort of directly influenced any kind of decisions to talk to other managers. I think I just think that's a sort of a sensible thing that, that clubs do now. Mm. Uh,
0: Tom, so if the criticism of Houghton is that he's too tactically rigid, uh, he's not necessarily making best use of his resources and so on and so forth. Um, so, Sabri Lamushi, you could say he did make best use of his resources, but then... There were other things like you know what happened in the transfer window. How much of that was him and how much of that was the club? Now let's go to Chris Wilder. Chris Wilder, somebody who always likes to play three at the back. He did pioneer this style of overlapping centre halves, which is you know quite quite out there. But in the transfer market, as Nick said, the club and he fell out. at uh, Sheffield United and twenty-four million pound, I think it was for Rhea and Brewster hasn't really worked out, has it? Um, but also he is he didn't have a plan B. When it came to tactics and formations, when Sheffield did not run under the cosh last season, did he? So is it just another thing that will go wrong if that happens?
5: Um, yeah, possibly. I mean, sadly, he was accused of not having a plan B. Um, Chris is uh, the same and it could be the same again. So we're not learning from our mistakes if that's the case. But um, I think with the um, hierarchy at Forest. I think it's just a matter of let's get into the Premier League any old how. Don't care how we play in a certain way. Let's get Wilder and he's done it recently at Sheffield United. Then we'll look at our our options when we're in the Premier League. I think that's the tactic, what they're going to go uh, with. But like I said, um, the the squad needs a lot more quality if we're going to be thinking about promotion in the next uh, year or so.
0: Mm. And Baz, to come to you. Uh, everyone said, oh, Sabri, he didn't, he didn't have a, a backup plan. He, he didn't have any answers when things went wrong. I mean, the more I think about it, the more I think that maybe that's a bit unfair because he did try different things like playing Thiago Silva in a deeper role. He tried three at the back. He, uh, you know, but ultimately he was still dependent on the fact he had a small squad and only Lewis Graben as a centre forward. Um, but compared to Chris Hewton, Sabri looks like he had all, all kinds of different tricks in his bag, didn't he? Chris Hewton's just too rigid, isn't he?
2: It's, it's, he's, he he's very good at infuriating the fans <laughs> with, with his rigidity. I think that there's there's a reason. I, I, I can see his point. There's a reason for it. He set us up in a particular way. I'm, I'm assuming... Um, what your Brighton friend said is what he does on the training ground is run through certain drills again and again and again. So if he set everyone up to play a particular way, then suddenly throwing it out the window in desperation for the last 20 minutes of a game doesn't fit very well with that. But would you not do that, some of that preparatory work on the training ground then? As That's well? what
0: won Man United, the Champions League.
2: Mm. So Exactly. Yeah. And I'm I'm thinking, um, just while we were talking there, I was thinking about, so who, which managers have we had that did have like a plan B? Because most of our managers have been relatively rigid. We have, we've had a style of play, maybe not Martin O'Neill, maybe not joking here. But but the only one I can think of that really springs to mind with a plan B was Billy Davis. And um, that was shove Delhi Adabola
5: on and then just platter them.
0: (laughs) And we all love Delhi Adabola. Tom, you wanted to come back there.
5: Yeah, about Chris Hewton at Brighton. I mean, was it five years ago when he got them promoted? And Mm -hmm. if he's that rigid then and he's trying to implement what he did at Brighton at Forest, has the Championship really changed in a certain way that he's been left behind tactically?
0: That's the accusation, isn't it? That's the accusation. Yeah. Now, Stephen, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to come to you very briefly here because one of the things that we hear about modern, the modern wave of managers is that what they do is they work very meticulously with individual players. So every player knows what his job is. But Rick, our Brighton friend, said, you know, to be honest, it looks as though he la- leaves the forwards to do their thing and he focuses upon those drills. And if that is the case... And that's not compatible with being a modern manager in, in the Championship, is it?
4: No, because you need to be creating chances and you need to be playing in the final third of the pitch more. And that is one of my big criticisms of, of Houghton is that, uh, for example, how many touches has Lewis Graben and Lyle Taylor had in the opposition penalty box? I, I can't think of many, to be honest. We don't seem to get the ball into those areas enough. Um, and when we do, we're kind of hoping for just. Throwing it in there and hoping something comes off. The only time, really against Derby, that we got behind them was Alex Maiten, the ball coming across and the flick from Graben, which nearly, nearly was was a goal bar for a good save. So we need to see more of that. Whether Cuton is capable of doing that, I'm I'm not sure. I, and this is where I do wonder if we'll go down the route of a different manager who plays a high pressing style and gets Forrest on the front foot because actually look at the last four or five managers we've appointed they've been quite conservative in their approach and I would say very similar in a lot of ways.
0: Mm. Uh, Bowser, you wanted to come back in there because I would say that that Chris Wilder coming back to him that's what he does he works every player in a Chris Wilder team knows his job and therefore and they do play a more pressing pressing game.
2: Uh, Yeah the the like Tom was saying about five years ago, yeah, the difference between then and now is that pressing is so much more important. Um, the Blackburn game was the last game I was at, and what made the difference in that game was Blackburn. We played two defensive midfielders with Brennan Johnson in front. Blackburn changed their shape, so they pushed two midfielders up on our two defensive ones, and then had one man man marking Brennan Johnson. So the three mirrored up completely. And that them pressing on us meant that we couldn't keep hold of the ball. And we had no answer to that. And that's kind of the thing. If you can't deal with the press, then it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for you. That's the way the modern game is.
0: Mm. OK, Tom, very briefly, and then we need to move on.
5: Um, yeah, and the, um, the games, what, um, as it's mentioned... Um, there's been times where Faisal like, their defenders come 40 or 50 yards up the pitch and they've gained momentum then the pulling is all over the place and the goals um, happen so um, yeah it all comes back to the the pressing um, subject again that we don't do it enough
0: mm. Loic Mbezo and Scott McKenna overlapping centre-halves then OK now it's time for another game of Guess That Red 1865 Guess That Red for Nick's benefit, this game is coincidentally very similar, but accidentally so, similar to a game called Did He Really Play for Forest that you're quite familiar with from Two Stars. Uh, in this game, we're going to get five clues and we're going to have to guess who the Forest player is that Tom is referring to. So Tom, question master extraordinaire, I'm going to hand over to you.
5: All right, so the first one's obscure because I didn't want you to get it after the first question. So the first question is, I refused to play for my national team against France in protest of the French army testing missiles in the South Pacific.
3: Hmm. No I'm, that's, I'm thing, that's ringing a bell I remember I think I remember the story but I don't remember the uh, identity of the person which is completely sketch s-
0: Claudio Jacob
5: No <sighs> <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Right, second question. I scored for my national team against England in 1992.
3: Well, actually, no, 93. He scored.
0: Nick, Las Mahina? Yes, it was. Oh, there you go. so, Nick is the winner on his, on his 1865 debut. Um, what were your other clues going to be there, Tom?
5: Um, so, the other three questions were, um, I scored direct from a corner against Norwich. That would have given it away, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, and then the other one was, I signed for Blackburn in 95 for £700,000. Mm, oh, Still hurts. Mm. <laughs> and the last question, I was signed from Young Boys of Bern in Switzerland. Yeah, last time he used to play
0: with young boys. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Let's not quote that on any uh, in any court cases. Um, Okay, right. (laughs) Let's just um, move on. And let's go to a listener competition. Um, now, thank you to our sponsors, our friends at The Terrace. We have some forest mugs and kit hangers to give away. Uh, to have a chance of winning, all you have to need to do is email us at forestramble at gmail.com by 8 pm on 10th of September. That's Friday coming. And we'll select three lucky winners. And the question is an easy one if you've been listening. Which recently deceased music legend was apparently a forest supporter? so which recently deceased musical legend was a forest supporter so once again email your answers to forestramble at gmail.com by 8 p.m on friday the 10th of september we'll select three lucky winners so best of luck to you and all that remains is for me to say a big thank you to our guests today to tom newton to baz to stephen topless and to nick miller thank you also to jeremy and thank you to fanhub and the terrace for supporting this podcast now to you, listener, thanks for joining us. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review with your podcast provider, especially if you're on Apple. It means a lot to us and it helps other people to find our content. We'll be back very soon with match reports after every Forest game and do follow us on social media. All the links are available at dot 65football And until then, thanks for listening.
4: That's Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.